Well, welcome to Bible Fellowship Church. It's an exciting Sunday. For those of you who are visiting with us here and online, just a reminder for those of you who have been here for a while, we are here to worship Jesus. We are here to know him. We are here to follow him, and we are here to learn what it means to serve him in this world. Uh, when you come to this church, you see a sign where faith and fellowship create a family. That's uh, what we seek to be. Is a true family who loves each other the way God has asked us to love each other, uh, with patience, kindness, uh, gentleness. Uh, we are a group of people who are not perfect, but we have found the perfect God who has perfectly loved us, uh, as imperfect as we are, who doesn't ask us to change our behavior to come to him, uh, but he's made the first move. He has stepped out, and like Mark, who, for those of you who don't know, is one of our elders, uh, it's eloquently explained, like, God came in the flesh. Jesus Christ, uh, the Holy One of Israel, the Son of God, he, fully God, fully man, came and lived a perfect life that we could not live and died a death that we deserve so that he could give us life that he deserves. Um, and he's called us and adopted us. And these songs that we sing, right, they're, they're explaining a, a theme of what we should be doing in every, every service. We're, we're there to see God as he is, that he would reveal himself and his glory to us. Uh, that naturally is going to lead us to the place where we meet him at the cross, uh, the place where we found our relationship to him, the amazing thing that happened at the cross where Jesus died on our behalf so that God can look at us and see him. He can look at us as righteous because of Jesus's work. And in so doing, after, after that happens, right, we sing this song with a bunch of eyes, 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 eyes. And I've talked with people who have problems with us singing worship songs that says, I, 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 because they think it's all about me. But that is not what that song is about. It's a song declaring how good Jesus, how good God is to us, to celebrate his, his faithfulness to us. I'm a child of God, not because of my work, but because of him. <clears throat> I am who you say I am, not what I think I am, not what I know, how, how, how I feel like I am, not what someone else says I am. I am what you say I am, and your word says that I'm holy, that I'm loved, that I'm cared for, that you're preparing a place for me. I'm chosen, not forsaken. <clears throat> Wonderful. So we're gathering here today with that in mind, to seek our good and gracious King, who has written to us, who knows us and loves us, uh, with the desire to see him more clearly, to understand him more deeply, to know him and follow him and love him uh, more, and then see him work out in our lives. So in that process, we have been looking at a book that we are going to be closing today and moving on to something next week. Uh, this book is, you'll be found in the end of your Bible, second to last book. It's a book that most people pass over. You've got the Johns and then Jude and the Revelation. We're going to be in Jude. Um, and if you've been with us for a while, we've been looking at Jude with this, this focus um, to see what it says for us. Right? When we come together, we look at the word, when I preach the word, it's not 
what does this mean for someone else? It is, what is the Lord speaking to me? And in the book of Jude, we've been looking at a book that is there for the defense of the faith. Um, it is there to def- a, a, a letter written to a group of believers who are suffering underneath false teaching. Uh, namely, a teaching that is distorting the grace of God into a lifestyle that is destructive for the people of God. A lifestyle that is, is kids of God living as if they weren't his kids. And Jude is right, writing to these, these people to call them back to a life that is fulfilling and joyful for them. To defend the faith. To remove those who are leading them astray and those who are actually not seeking their good but their own self-serving desires. Um, and then to realign their perspective with the mission that God has called them. To have mercy on those in doubt. Uh, to snatch others out of the fire. To be a, a, a people who are rooted in their position before God as beloved, loved, cherished, wanted, cared for. Right? That, I mean, Jude, through this whole letter of defensive faith, his most common statement is beloved. Beloved, you are loved, you are cared. We, we are the, the choice ones of God. God actually chose us. And he, and he deems us precious in his sight. He loves us. And out of that, <clears throat> we have full security with him. So <clears throat> I'm going to read again in Jude. I'm going to remind us of last week's sermon. And then we're going to jump in and try to finish this out at the end of uh, this passage. But I'm going to start again reading verse 17 after I drink a little bit of water because my throat is... Uh, <clears throat> verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions... Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before, before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Last week, we were looking at the first uh, part of that ending doxology. Verse 24, and we saw that God securely keeps his people, that our life with him, this doesn't mean that we do not stumble here and there, but that we will not fall away if God has grasped us, that we are secure in him, that what he has done and he has purchased and he has worked for, we cannot lose. We do not gain a salvation on our own effort. We cannot lose it if he is if on our own effort. He secures us before him. He is the one who was able to do it. And it's not on me. I don't have to upkeep my salvation before him. That's the beauty of being an adopted child of God. 
I am his. No matter what I do, he chose me. Exactly as dirty as I was, and I am. He, he is changing me. He is committed to bringing me to himself and presenting me in his fullness of his glory. The place where sin cannot dwell. His, his glory that threatened to destroy Moses on Mount Sinai. And if God is committed to do that, I am secure in him. I can rest in him. And the beauty of what, what we see here is that out of that security, out of my position as a, a loved child of God, when I fully understand that, it leads me to praising him. It leads me to see him known among the earth as he actually is. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and present yourself, you before him in, the, in his, the glory of his presence with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, power, and authority from uh, this time forth, from before time, this time, and now and forever. Right? That praise of him, his essential character qualities, who he is, naturally comes out when I understand my position before him. My life should seek to see him as he is because I've received such amazing things from him. In fact, this is one of the reasons why we were chosen. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Part of the purpose of our lives of believers is to make him known. Uh, most everyone here should know what the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is. What is the chief end of man? You're, feel free to talk out. We don't have to be silent in here. Glorify God, enjoy him forever. The end of our life, the purpose of our life, the goal of our life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what the scriptures teach. The end of life is not for me. My purpose here on this earth is not for me. My purpose here on this earth is for God. For God to be known and seen as he is in the world. I want him glorified. This is Super Bowl Sunday, right? Anyone know that? I don't know, I don't know if anyone here is following uh, what's going on with the NFL right now. <clears throat> A team you guys like in there? I don't know. The team that you like is there. Yeah. And what do you want to happen with that team? They wanted to crush them. That, that's something that was said. That's not on, now it's on live stream. Um, there's some, some kind people over here. Why? Why do you want that to happen? Because you want them to win. You want them to revel in the glory of winning the Super Bowl. Best team in the league this year. We'll see what happens next year. <laughs> and, and what happens when they win? How are you going to feel? Excited? Happy? I mean, I feel bad for the city of Philadelphia because no matter what happens, win or lose, destruction is coming. 
But there's this exuberance, this passion. Like even here, like schools are opening late in Philly because of the Super Bowl. Like it's crazy. Why, why is this all happening? Because the team that we have no part of, but that we love, and I'm using a royal we, um, you guys know where I stand, <laughs> but I'm kind and compassionate. Um, I like you too, yeah. <laughs> but the team that, that, that you know and you love and you want to you see them win, and you want to see them seen by the world like you see them, Right? And that's just a small portion, image, of what our lives should look like as believers. Now, I'm not saying we come in here every Sunday screaming, ranting, wearing our Jesus t-shirts and, uh, you know, having a big party, right? But our desire is that God would be seen as he actually is because he is the king of the universe, he is glorious beyond all comprehension. His beauty is unmatched. His love is, makes you speechless. His care for us, whom he's created, and we rejected the one who created us, still came after and has walked patiently with us. Even when we prayed that prayer, walked down that aisle, raised the hand or whatever it was and said, you know what, Jesus, yes, I believe that you are who you said you are. I believe that I am a sinner, that I am broken, and I need salvation. Please come rescue me. However you said that, and while you're doing that, you still have issues where you've denied the one who's saved you, and he's still patient with you. He doesn't stand there and go, oh my goodness, John did that again. This kid, what was I thinking? No, he's like, man, John, you just tripped over in the mud. What are you thinking? Let me, let's get you out. Let's clean you off. Let's keep on going. And that naturally, naturally should lead us in a desire for him to be seen as he is throughout the earth. We want to see his glory we want to see him known. And this is the distinction between the false teachers in Jude and those who are following Jesus. And I mean, if you wanted to get it all the way down to his bare bones, you would have people who are not following God and people who are following God. And the distinction between the people who are not following God and the people who are following God, I read this in the very beginning. And the last time there'll be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Worldly people who cause divisions devoid of the spirit. What, if, what are they about? Themselves, Their own passions. But the believer is passionate about the glory of God. Because God is passionate about his glory. The whole purpose of creation is that God would be glorified. And he didn't even need to do that. Like this is the incredible nature of who our God is as triune. Now, I'm not going to go on a big sermon on the triune God because we don't have that much time and you guys would leave to go watch the Super Bowl once we get finished talking about it. But one of the beautiful things about who God is as he's triune, three persons, one God, one God, three persons, 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We even see him represented in this letter. Pray in the Holy Spirit, kept for Jesus Christ. Only God, our Savior. He's completely self-sufficient and in need, no, in need of nothing. Perfect relationship amongst himself. And it was his pleasure to create so that the world could see how good he is. And that is not a self-serving, like it's not like a, a bad thing for him to do that. He's the only being that can have a self-motivated interest and be good because he is the pinnacle of goodness. See, God's nature demands exaltation. It demands it. Who he is demands this. These statements that he makes are, are only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. These are statements that are true of God. Like Jude's not writing this to make it happen for God. God has always been the only God. God has always been all-glorious. God has always been full of majesty and dominion and authority. Jude simply wants the world to recognize it. Right? So I'm going to go through here, just give some quick definitions, and then we're going to go into some implications for what that means for us. So when Jude says to the only God, what is he referencing He's referencing the Trinity. He's also making a statement of truth. There is only one God. Despite what's going on in the world or who wants, says one, someone says wants to, whatever someone wants to say or whatever perspective someone comes from, there are lots of little gods in this world. There is only one true God. There's only one who sits as supreme over everything, and that is Yahweh. That is the triune God of the Bible. He is God. Why is it that his first 10 commandments, like the 10 commandments, everyone knows that, the first three of them are about him protecting his position as God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment one. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything in heaven and on earth beneath or anything that's in the water or under the earth. You shall not, not bow down to them and serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generations, those who hate me but showing steadfast love to, the, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Those three things, beginning what he's listing out, the priorities of what I want my people to live, how I want my people to live. No other gods before me. No images, because there's nothing in creation that can represent me clearly. And don't take my name in vain. Really, don't 
use my name as a trinket to get what you want. Because I am God. You are not. And man's natural position as sin is to think of ourselves as God and look for our prerogatives and what we want and to elevate even in our relationship with God, it gets twisted as we look for him to provide certain things for us as if he is a trinket, right? Cosmic vending machine has been used in the past by others, right? But God is the only God. He is the only one that can sit in that position. He is holy. He is set apart in everything. Even his trinity, his triunity, there is absolutely nothing on this earth that can adequately describe the trinity. Not ice or water, not a banana, not a father who's a son and a dad and a husband. None of those things adequately represent who God is because he's distinct. He is other. He's eternal. And we can't even comprehend that. There was never a time where God was not. Try to think that through. There was never a beginning with God. We can't even conceive of that because we have beginnings. We are only eternal in the fact that we were started and we will live forever, either with him or away from him. But God exists out of time. He exists out of everything. He's always been. That's how great he is. And even in his being, I cannot fully understand it. And that is such a gift to me. Because my mind cannot wrap around who God is. Because he is so good, so great, so awesome. Our Savior. Right? This is the first time Jude even mentions Jesus as our Savior. But really, he's even speaking to a concept that is throughout all of Scripture. God is our salvation. Any of you have read the, the Psalms? You see that kind of all over the place. Psalm 66, 5. Awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God, of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. He is the God of our salvation. He's the one who brings us and rescues us. And how does he do that? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is through the Son that he is rescued and saved. And the Son is now our Lord, our King, our ruler, our primary the one we are called to order our lives before. The one who gets to have authority and to say what we do and what we don't do. And it's not overbearing. Right? He's gentle and lowly. He's kind. And what he says for us and asks us to do, if we think that it's somehow going to be taking away from our joy... It's our perspective that's off, not what he's asking of us. And even if he leads us through difficulty and struggle, it's ultimately going to be for his glory and our good. He is our Lord. He gets to be that. Be glory. Glory is the sum total of all who God is. We could spend a long time on this, but I don't want to spend a long time on this. Simply doxa, 
uh, in the Greek, kabod in the, in the, in the Hebrew, is awaitingness. It's, it's, it's who he is. It is his essential character quality. All of his attributes, all of the, the, the beauty of who he is. His majesty, his greatness, his magnificence, his, his standing, right? We all know the word majestic, or we, we, you know, don't have a king here in America for some good reasons. Uh, but if we, we did, right, we'd say your majesty, your excellent one, dominion, right? Sovereign rule over everything, all of creation. That it includes the ever-expanding space that is around us. All the planets, all the universes, to all the small, minute things that are happening in our own planet here. He has dominion. And not only does he have dominion, he has the power and authority to do what he wants to do. Now, all of these things are true. And they have happened through all time. Jude is not adding to what God has. He's revealing who God is. God has always been all glorious. God has always been majestic. God has always had dominion. God has always been in authority over all things. Even when Satan went to usurp him, he did not lack in being in authority. Even when Eve transgressed against him, he did not lack in dominion but sovereignly allowed what was happening to put into a plan that he, des- he designed before the foundations of the earth to send his son to come redeem a people for his own possession. Amen. That's why the Bible presents him has already won the victory over everything. We read it and we know the end because it's true. Satan thinks he's fighting God. He's not. God's using him. God's working through him. God's taking what the enemy means for evil, and then he is turning it and fashioning it into what? Good. God's taking the place that you are right now and the difficulties that you are in right now And he has all authority, all sovereignty, all power over that situation. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he's allowing it to do something in you, to produce something in you. So that he could be the God of all comfort to you. Who comforts you in your afflictions so that you may comfort those who are going through the same stuff. He uses it to remove our our attachment to the things of this world and shift our focus into what's truly valuable. Him, his kingdom, his glory. And he's working through all of this all the time. We're gonna go back to God's glory because God's glory is an essential part of who he is and he's extremely passionate about it. Like I said before, all of Scripture can be viewed in the lens of a passion for God's glory. 
right? That's the, that's the main theme. Uh, there's a lot of themes that go through this book. God's salvation of us, God's rulership, his kingship, uh, God's seed that he's promised, all those promises running threads through it all. But the, the greater overarching theme is God's glory in this book. And I'm not just pulling this out of my own hat. There's been plenty of theologians that have read this. And if you're really uh, interested, God's passion for his glory. Uh, or no, the end for which God created man is a work that Jonathan Edwards wrote. Be good to pick up. But Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. It's his possession. It's who he is. And he's passionate about it. Right? Isaiah 48. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will give to another. Right, and Moses comes up and he says, Lord, I want to help me see your glory, Exodus 33. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Right, and he hides them and he passes and the glory passes over. His goodness and his glory are synonymous things. His glory is who he is. I'm just trying to get that simple statement across to you. God's glory is an essential part of his nature and is something that he will not part with. And as God and sovereign and full of of dominion and majesty and power, he does not let anyone steal his glory from him. Although it may look like it. It's his. It's his possession. And it's our purpose to reveal that glory. Not only can no one take it from him, no one can add to his glory. We don't have the ability to add to the glory of God. Now, some of you who are good Bible students are going, well, aren't we supposed to give glory to God? Ascribe to the Lord glory and honor and strength. Ascribe is just a word for to give. We're we're there to give him glory. Give God glory, right? Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we're taking something that we have and then we're just adding it to him? Never. No. The, the greater understanding of what that would be as, is, is the moon reflecting the light of the sun at night. The moon is revealing the glory of the sun. The moon is giving the glory to the sun. Does the moon have any light of its own? No, it's a giant mirror in the sky. And it's reflecting what's there. Even if the moon were to reflect that light back to the sun, would it be giving the sun more light than it already has? No. It's not. It's there simply to reveal the beauty of that celestial being. And in the same way, when we call and say we're giving God glory... It's us revealing who he is to the world around us. It's us revealing his character, his nature, 
to the people in this world, to the creation in this world. And I mean, this has so many implications that we could just start thinking of how, how, what does that mean for me to glorify God? Well, in a sense, I act like him to the creation. I steward creation well. I steward things well. I can eat to the glory of God. I can mow lawns to the glory of God. I can grow crops to the glory of God. I can teach students to the glory of God. I could write a computer game to the glory of God. Out of a revelation of who he is, showing that to the world. Right, we, we don't actually add to it, we, we give it. Right, what does 2 Corinthians 3 say? After all, we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Our purpose of life in following him is that he would be made known in and through us. That our lives would be conformed to his image He makes a command saying, don't make any graven images because his purpose was that his image would be seen in the people that he's created. And how is that seen? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love does not seek its own. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why are those the fruits of the Spirit? Because that's who God is. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, rich in faithfulness, forgiving iniquity. And he wants the world to know that. And he's desired to use and work through you to make that known. So the question today, there's a lot of questions we could ask. Whose glory am I living for? Whose glory am I living for? Right? Sin is such a twisted thing. Because there's opportunity to take what's good and to turn it into something that's bad. And our flesh is a wicked thing. Because it even take good Christian activities and use them for self-promotion. A desire to glorify God and do a big thing for him can turn into a desire for me to be the one who actually does that. God, I want your name glorified, but I want to be the one who does it. I want to to be the one on screen and well-known and all that stuff. Do it to me. Not my neighbor. 
or someone that I don't know. A lot of Christians go and look for God to do the miraculous things for people through them. And it's very easy to get that twisted so that I can be known as the person who's following God so well that miraculous things are happening. Right? Christian music, there's a lot of that going on. It's easy to step in the wrong place, walk in the wrong direction, have the wrong aim of life. But for us, we are called to set our aim our direction, our end on glorifying God and seeing him made known. And he is one who is gentle and lowly. He is one who did not seek to keep his position, but he gave it up and became a humble servant, laid down his life. And for us, we are called to give up our lives so that we could gain our lives. We are called to carry our cross and allow him to glorify and exalt us. We are called to serve and see him made known. And we are called to look at our lives and ourselves honestly and say, Lord, is there any way in me that is not of you? Could you kill it? My anger, my greed, my jealousy, my lust, whatever it is. Lord, I proclaim you on Sunday, but on Wednesday, it's a different thing. Would you align me to be who you say I am? Not my flesh that I'm following after. Whose glory am I following? How is my life ordered? What am I seeking after? Do people see your nature in me? Or is what I am doing devoid of love? Right, that love passage in 1 Corinthians, it's read at every wedding, just about only for the rebels who don't want to read it. I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers to understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, it is kind, it does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. And what is he getting at? Love is essentially looking out for the better of someone else even to my own detriment. Having tongues of men and angels, being an awesome musician like Jerry, having the ability to see things and proclaim them before they happen, even being able to take a mountain and move it into the sea, 
all that has means nothing if I'm doing it for its own sake. My call is to love people. My call is to love God. My call is to see him work through me, not in a way that people see me and recognize him. My call is to bring my brokenness to the Lord every day and say, Lord, here I am. You have rulership over my heart. You are the ruler, and I am willingly giving it to you. Be in me all that you are so that you can accomplish me in me all that you want to do. Whether you raise me up or you lay me low, you are, my, my, you are what I want. You are what I want to see. Man, just imagine what would happen if every one of us got a hold of that. Imagine what would happen if every one of us saw that. How much grace would be extended in this place? How many people would come out of the darkness that they're living and come to the light that is of God? It turn our world upside down. What would happen if the church had as much passion as Philadelphia has for the Eagles? And this is not to guilt anyone into anything, right? This is where life is. God being center for me. I can't do that for anyone else. But I can choose for myself who I'm going to serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, we thank you for your spirit, Lord. We know that you know our frame, you know our failures, you know our weakness, and Lord, you've provided everything to fill them. Lord, we want to see you as you are. We want the world to see you as you are. Lord, Reveal yourself to us more clearly. Give us the grace to see you in a greater capacity than we have seen before. Lord, inhabit our thoughts, inhabit our vision. Lord, make us live with the same passion that you have for your glory. Walk with us. We trust you. Praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.